Hello, church family, and uh, hello to those of you who are joining us for maybe the first time. You are really welcome. Did you grab your cup of coffee or uh, a cup of tea? Today I have uh, one of my favorite mugs, mug from California, because I have really good friends in California, and because the mug obviously has some palm trees on it. And uh, I think just looking at this California mug, it reminds us that we should be praying for our American neighbors to the south and praying for Canada as well. And we'll pray for them and for our nation at the end of this message. When uh, I talk about palm trees, what memory comes to mind? California obviously came to mind for me. Maybe another country comes to mind for you. Um, Maybe you think of Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a a special day. What, What song would adequately express our sentiments on on this Palm Sunday. If, you, if you're like me, <laughs> I find my heart vacillating between songs of faith and hope and songs of lament. For some reason, I'm reminded of uh, a song that was composed some time ago um, by U2, that famous uh, Irish rock band. Uh, For you Gen Zers out there, uh, probably the most famous rock band from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and into the 2000s. Anyways, you too. You too composed this song, Sunday, Bloody Sunday. I can't believe the news today. Oh, I can't close my eyes and make it go away. How long? How long must we sing this song? How long? How long? Bono and The Edge, they composed that song after the Bloody Sunday event in Derry, Northern Ireland, when British troops uh, killed unarmed uh, civil protesters. They sang out, how long? How long will this war last? And maybe today in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis, we're crying out, how long, Lord? How long? As I read and, and reread uh, Luke 18 and 19 this week, I was deeply impacted by Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, and I pray you will be also. Allow me to set the context for today's passage. In Luke 18, Jesus, he, he sets his face toward Jerusalem, his final journey to the city. Jesus says something to his 12 disciples that he has said to them many times. Here's my prayer phrase. I'm going to Jerusalem. Uh, It's the center of messianic expectation. I'm going to be mistreated. They will kill me, but I will rise again. And the disciples are just unable to grasp its meaning. As Jesus approaches Jericho, he's now about, oh, 20 kilometers from Jerusalem. A blind man, he discovers that Jesus is passing by, and he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus hears his humble cry. He stops, and he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man answers, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus heals his sight and says, your faith has made you well. 
the same thing that he said to the Samaritan leper in Luke chapter 17. At the beginning of of Luke chapter 19, Jesus passes through the city of Jericho and he sees a rich chief tax collector up in a sycamore tree. It's It's a humorous scene. Jesus takes the time to talk to him and then invites himself over for dinner. The people in the crowd, they they grumble because in their minds, Jesus is going to the home of a sinner, someone that they consider to be under shame, an outcast on the margin. And Jesus says to them, I came to seek and to save the lost. If today's message were a song, I think the first line should be, Jesus always has time for one more. Jesus always has time for one more. In the context, Jesus is walking toward his, his arrest, his, his crucifixion, and, and people there divided. Uh, many praise him. They want, they want him to reign. But others, they despise him. They do not want him to reign ever. The situation is obviously conflicted. It's it's tense. But even though Jesus is walking toward his death, he has time for one more. He saw the blind man. He saw Zacchaeus up in the sycamore tree. He sees you. He hears your cry. He wants you to know him. He wants you to trust him in this moment. He wants you to experience his assuring presence right now. He sees you. Jesus continues his journey. He leaves the city of of Jericho and, and travels the steep, dusty, winding road up to Jerusalem, again about 20 kilometers, and it's a rise of a thousand meters. Let's read today's passage. Luke chapter 19. Grab your Bible. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Did you note that Jesus is actually going ahead of his disciples? He's leading the way. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, uh, now Bethany It was a a small village on the eastern slopes of Mount Olivet, about three kilometers from Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage in Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, those who were sent went away and found it just as Jesus had told them. And they were, as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. So Jesus' words to his disciples, they reveal that he has complete foreknowledge of what is going to take place. 
He knows where the colt is. He knows that it's tied up. One interesting note is that uh, they had these donkey tie-up stations uh, across the region. And so it was kind of like the ancient version of evil car share. So first, Jesus knows where the colt is. He knows that it's tied up. And then Jesus knows that the colt has never been ridden. And fourthly, he knows how to get it. In other words, Jesus knows what is ahead of him. The disciples, they found, find the colt just as Jesus has said. While they untie the colt, the owners, they ask that question, well, why are you untying the colt? And the disciples respond exactly as Jesus has instructed them. The Lord has need of it. Note that Jesus refers to himself as the Lord. In this moment, as he approaches Jerusalem, he's carefully, sovereignly uh, orchestrating these events. He's publicly identifying himself. This isn't a moment when Jesus heals someone and says, don't tell anyone. No, his hour has come. He's the Lord of that moment. So, if we're, I were writing a song today, a Palm Sunday song, the second line would be, Jesus is sovereign over the moment, every moment. Jesus is sovereign over this moment, every moment. On that first Palm Sunday, Jesus was sovereign over the day. Jesus is sovereign over this Palm Sunday. You may say, but it feels like it's out of control. We're in a health crisis, and I think the economic crisis is going to be even worse. And no one knows how long it will last. No one. I want to sing that U2 song, How Long, How Long. Nonetheless, Jesus is on the throne. As surely as I'm sitting on this chair right now, Jesus is on the throne. He knows what's coming. He has his hand on the moment. He knows how long this crisis is going to last. He's not pacing. He's not anxious. He knows what you and what you and I need right now. Did you experience God's sovereign hand over your life this last week? I saw Jesus orchestrating some really special conversations with members of our church family, with members of my own immediate family, with people that I met. I'm sure you did too. I heard of stories of people reaching out to each other in chat rooms and Zoom calls and text messages and phone calls and retirement villages. God is at work. He is sovereign. He's accomplishing his purposes right now. The disciples of Jesus, they set Jesus on the colt. Jesus, he very deliberately, he enters Jerusalem. Not on foot as the other Passover pilgrims would be entering Jerusalem, but no, in this very specific manner, on a colt. Interestingly, in Genesis 49, we read that a ruler from the tribe of Judah would tie his colt to the vine and command the obedience of the nations. 
that passage foretold this day, this Palm Sunday, when Jesus enters Jerusalem. Let's go back to the text. Gen, uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 36, we read, And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out. The spreading of the cloaks on the road, that was an act of, of homage. This was like a, a red carpet treatment for Jesus. The crowds, they were expressing their submission to Jesus as their king. Others, according to the Gospel of Matthew, they cut branches from the trees, probably palm branches, something like these, and they laid them at Jesus' feet. Palm branches being laid down, honoring Jesus as he walked down the road. Heralding the king's victory over his enemies. You can feel the tension just building. Because in the crowd, there are disciples of Jesus who are so excited about what's happening. Uh, the Gospel of John mentions that people come from Bethany to, to join in. Why? Because they witnessed the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Their devotion and their fervor. It just loads the room with emotion. Or sorry, in the moment with emotion. Perhaps the closest that we get to this kind of emotion today, this kind of exuberance, uh, is when we yell and we scream and we bang pots at 7 p.m. in the evening to, to honor, to celebrate, to uh, pray for those healthcare workers that are on the front lines working tirelessly for our well-being and working obviously for the healing of all those who have been affected by COVID-19. We pray for them. We'll end this message praying for them. On that day, the crowd crests Mount Olivet. And Mount Olivet, it stands uh, at about 2,700 meters. It's actually a, a ridge of summits. Um, and the Temple Mount of Jerusalem sits just a little bit lower at about 2,428 feet. So, as the crowd descends the mount, as Jesus descends, they have this spectacular view of the Temple Mount. Passover pilgrims are descending to Jerusalem. They're less, 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 less than one week 
from the Passover celebration, that great annual celebration of Israel's liberation from Egypt. You can imagine the atmosphere, the commotion. They believe it's time for liberation from Rome's oppression. Their chains will be broken. The people believe that Jesus, he's going to be like Moses, the one who led Israel to freedom. Deliverance is right before them. They can taste it. The multitude begins to celebrate, to praise God for his mighty works. They're euphoric. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heavy heaven and glory in the highest. That praise, it just echoes what the angels sang when Jesus was born in Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. They're singing the Palm Sunday song, the gospel song. Their praises, they acknowledge the work of God in and through Jesus. And oh, they have seen so much happen through the ministry of Jesus. So much to celebrate. Their praise, it acknowledges God's intention to reconcile all people to himself. For them, uh, oh, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of Messiah has come. It's the day. What the crowds sing, it actually comes right out of Psalm 118, that psalm which during the time of Israel's monarchy depicted the king leading the pilgrims to the temple. And the king, followed by the pilgrims, would be greeted by the priests at the temple. And it was that would happen either on the occasion of a major victory, a major victory in war, or the moment of the annual reenthronement of the king. And the priests would be there at the temple waiting waiting to greet the throng coming in their direction, the king and the entourage coming with God's approval. But what kind of greeting will Jesus get on this day? Will his city, the city of Jerusalem, welcome him as the Messiah King? The crowd probably believes that Jesus should be greeted at the temple by the priests. Surely the Messiah will be blessed at the religious center of Hebrew life. Won't he be? As Jesus descends Mount Olivet, the temple mount is before him. He's declaring that he's the long-awaited Messiah, the anointed one of the lineage of David, the Savior coming in humility, coming in meekness, in this humble, majestic way. He's fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9, what was prophesied hundreds of years before his coming. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus, he's triumphant. He's victorious. At the same time, he's gentle. He's lowly in heart. And he rides toward Jerusalem. Not to mount an earthly throne. (laughs) No. 
but to do his Father's will. If we could stop the film right here and look at the still frame, we could contemplate the sublime, majestic beauty of Jesus descending the mount, the messianic expectations of the disciples and the crowds, they could not be higher. They want to make him king. They want him to rescue them. But Jesus is looking much farther. As he descends Mount Olivet, yes, he sees the Temple Mount. But he would also see behind the Temple Mount, in the background, Calvary. The hill where he will die for the salvation of all people. You see, Jesus, he's not focused on a temporary kingdom. He's focused on the defeat of Satan, of sin, and death. Nothing is going to deter him from his ordained path to the cross. Nothing is going to keep him from fulfilling his mission. Nothing's going to throw him off his game on that day. In majesty, he rides to his death. So I think the third line of our Palm Sunday song should read, Jesus will surely establish his kingdom for every moment in time. Jesus will surely establish his kingdom for every moment in time. In the last stanza of U2's song, uh, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, Bono sings, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, and it's true we are immune when fact is fiction and TV reality. And today, the millions cry, we eat and drink while tomorrow they die. The battle just begun, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, to claim the victory Jesus won on Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Yeah. Jesus, he was committed to winning the ultimate victory, to fulfill the mission that his father had entrusted to him and to him alone. To do what only he could do. And he's committed to fulfilling his mission today. This Palm Sunday in my life, in your life, in your family, in our city, in our nation, in our world. On that day, the Pharisees, they were disturbed by the acclamation, by the messianic praise that Jesus was receiving. They were offended by the gospel song. They wanted it to stop. They didn't want Jesus to reign over them. They command Jesus to rebuke his disciples. And in verse 40, Jesus rebukes them. He says, if the crowds remain quiet, the very stones will cry out. The rocks will scream. Even lifeless, inanimate objects will acknowledge me, the living Messiah, unlike you blind Pharisees. 
Jesus, he's torn. He's torn between the exuberance of the praise and the tragedy of the moment. Torn as as you might be right now because you have a solid faith in God, but those around you don't. Torn because you're well. You're feeling good. But others around you are ill. Torn because even though you praise Jesus today, you're not sure what will come tomorrow. You, you, you're uncertain about the turbulence that's on your path. Let's go back to the scriptures. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will be set up, will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So as Jesus crosses the Kidron Valley and nears the city gates, he begins to weep. And the word that's used there, it means to lament with sobs. Jesus is wailing as he comes down that mountain. He's overcome with emotion. The rejection of Jesus by many of his own people, it was predicted by the prophet Messiah for sure. Sorry, Isaiah for sure. Hundreds of years before Jesus came. Yet Jesus, he feels great sorrow when he actually witnesses the rejection of his own people. He laments because he sees a city that he loves sealing its fate. So I think the fourth line of this Palm Sunday song would be, Jesus' heart, it breaks for the city. It breaks for every city. Jesus' heart, it breaks for the city, for our city. Verse 42, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. On this day, the day of your visitation, on this day when Jesus enters Jerusalem as Messiah, the citizens of the city, they do not recognize that it is the day of their redemption. They have missed it. The day when their true Messiah and King came to save them. They missed it. Verse 42, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. The things that make for peace with God. Inner peace, lasting, abiding peace. If only they had known what makes the world as it should be. What heals one's relationship with God. What heals relationships with others. And I ask you, today, on this day, doesn't our world need to know what makes for peace? Jesus' words on that day, they echo what we read in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10. The verse right after that verse that talks about Jesus entering Jerusalem on a colt. 
Verse 10 in Zechariah 9, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The humble king who rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a colt, he will bring peace to the ends of the earth. That's at the heart of the gospel. These words, his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth, they're actually prominently engraved on the walls of the peace tower in our nation's capital, Ottawa. The quote there um, on the peace tower, it's actually taken from Psalm 72, verse 8, where the same words are found, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You see, the fathers of confederation in this country, they took our name, the dominion of Canada, from that verse. It's also featured on, on Canada's coat of arms. Psalm 72, what does it proclaim? Well, it proclaims the absolute sovereignty of God over the entire earth, and it refers to the reign of Jesus, the Messiah King, over all nations. It's not a kingdom marked by a particular ethnicity or language. Rather, it speaks to the unity of all nations, of all ethnicities, united in one confession, proclaiming the truth of one God. True lasting peace found only in relationship with Jesus. Now, we live today in a post-Christian Canada. The beliefs and values of our country have changed dramatically. The moral fabric of our nation, it comes undone. The challenges before us are immense. As a people, as a nation, we do not seek to submit ourselves to God or to anyone We do not seek to submit ourselves to his word, to his law. Rather, we seek autonomy. We want to be a law unto ourselves. We want to create our own morality. Make life in our image. And so, as followers of Jesus, we live torn, right? Torn between the beauty of our nation and the fallenness of humanity. We're torn between our love for those around us and the brokenness of relationships. I'm sure Jesus would say to Canada today, would that you, even you, had known on this day, the day of COVID-19 crisis, the things that make for peace. Would that you have known on this day the things that make for peace. Jesus' heart, it broke for Jerusalem. His heart breaks for our cities today. It breaks for our nation more than anything. He desires to draw people to himself today. In verse 42, 
Jesus says to the Pharisees that the things that make for peace are now hidden from their eyes. You're blind, he says. So instead of peace, destruction is going to come. Jesus prophesies that the days are coming when a barricade will be built around the city, around Jerusalem, and their enemies will lay siege to the city, and they will raise the city. They will destroy it. Not one stone will be left upon another. It'll be leveled to the ground. What happened after that prophetic statement from Jesus? Well, in A.D. 70, about 40 years later, the Roman army under Titus laid siege to Jerusalem and destroyed it. Destroyed it. Destroyed the temple. Leveled it. Not one stone was left upon another. Jesus' words are true. He fulfills his words. Now, on this Palm Sunday, we have a wonderful gospel song to sing. Jesus has made the way for peace for everyone. Jesus has made the way for peace for everyone. We can sing that song until Jesus returns. Jesus has made the way for peace this day. So if we're followers of of Jesus, do we have a song to sing today? Oh, do we have a song to sing? Do we have a message of hope to proclaim in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis? No matter how long it lasts, I've been praying, Lord, in light of the victory that you have won, what's your mission for me? What's your mission for our church family? What's your mission for disciples around the world in this moment in history? On this Palm Sunday, I don't want to miss what the Lord has for me and for you. So how should we respond? Well, if we've surrendered to the one who has time for one more, then let's reach out to one more today. We're sons and daughters of God, chosen for his purposes, chosen to be light in our generation, chosen for this time. We should not hide the light of Jesus within us. We can proclaim and live the gospel boldly, not arrogantly, humbly, but confidently, even though those around us may not understand it, even though they may be offended by it. We should always have time for one more. If we've surrendered to the one who's sovereign over history, well, then we can live full of faith, full of hope, love, peace, because he has all things in his hand today. If we've surrendered to the one who established his kingdom for all time and forever, then we can rest in his peace that surpasses understanding and embrace the mission that Jesus has for us today. Who's God bringing to mind right now? Who does God want you to reach out to? What's he asking you to do? If we're following the one who weeps for our cities, if we will lament what we see around us, then remember God is at work in our day. And he invites us to join him in what he is doing. 
If you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, well then, I want you to know something. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, then you need to know that Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago and he took upon himself the sin of the world, everything that's wrong with this world, all of your sin, all of my sin, all the pride, the selfishness, the bitterness, the malice, he paid the price for it once and for all. And he opened the way for you and me to be at peace with God, to be forgiven for all of our sins, to be reconciled with God, to have God as our Father. He opened the way for us to experience this peace so that we might also trust him, believe him, surrender to him and follow him. And it's as we do that, as we trust him, as we believe in him, that really we are filled with the peace of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we surrender to Jesus, then the Father and the Son, they send the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And the peace of God, it resides within us and it surpasses all understanding. Jesus himself, the Prince of Peace, in you by his Spirit. So if you want that peace in your heart today, then, then please pray this prayer with me, okay? Bow your head wherever you are, and I'd ask you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, thank you for the invitation to know you. Jesus, please forgive me for leading my own life separate from you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin, for paying the price for all of my sin. I repent. I, I turn to you. I surrender my whole life to you today, Jesus. I turn to you for forgiveness, for new life. Oh, Jesus, I need new life. Jesus, lead me from this day forward. Fill me with your spirit. Set me free. Make me into the kind of person that you created me to be. I want to be like you, Jesus. Father, thank you that I can call you Father. I thank you for adopting me into your family. Thank you for gifting me with eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, then I would encourage you to please connect with us. You can go to our website and, uh, and go to the Connect card. And just, uh, we would love to encourage you in your journey. Pray for you. And now a prayer for all of us who are following Jesus this Palm Sunday. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are sovereign over all things. Thank you that we can rest in your goodness in your sovereign care, your sustaining grace. Thank you that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. No moment of uncertainty, no economic crisis, no health concern. There's nothing that can separate us from you. And so we rest in your good care. Lord, we do pray for health workers Healthcare workers in our nation, healthcare workers in the United States, 
We pray for your protection over them. We pray that you would strengthen them by your Holy Spirit. We pray for our government officials. We pray for health care officers. Lord, I pray that they would continue to walk in unity for the good of this nation. I pray that for Canada. I pray that as well for our sisters and brothers to the south. Lord, we pray for your intervention in the midst of this crisis. Most of all, Lord, we pray that our nation, Canada, and the United States of America, that these nations would turn to you, Lord, in this moment and recognize again that you are Lord, that you are sovereign, that you are the one who reigns over all things. And yes, life is out of our control. We are fragile, we are weak, and we need you. We need you desperately. And so, Lord, why we pray that you would renew us, revive us. Revive us, Lord, as your church today. Oh, God, may we seek your face with all that we are. And, Lord, may we not just be concerned about our own spiritual well-being, our own physical well-being, the well-being of our families, but, Lord, lift our eyes to see those around us, to see those who need a word of comfort, who need a phone call, who need a, a Zoom call, a video call, to be in a chat room, Lord, with us so that we can encourage them with your message of hope, this sure hope of life in you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you drew us to yourself. Thank you that we're your disciples. Thank you that we can follow you in the midst of this crisis. Thank you that you are our shepherd, our friend, our savior, our Lord. We entrust ourselves to you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you follow Jesus this coming week.